Hi, this is Nick Dawson, the editor-in-chief of Talk Has Film, and you're listening to the Talk Has Film podcast. Summer is a bit of a wasteland for TV, so the good shows really stand out. This summer, an underdog came to the fore in the form of Unreal, a lifetime drama series about the making of a reality TV show that very closely resembles The Bachelor. Unreal might be classified as a guilty pleasure, but it's also not what you'd expect from Lifetime, even the newly reinvented Lifetime. It's sharply written, tautly plotted, and boasts vividly drawn characters that are brought brilliantly to life by the show's cast, particularly its two excellent female leads, Shiri Appleby, playing junior producer Rachel, and Constance Zimmer as her boss, Quinn. Created by Sarah Gertrude Shapiro and veteran showrunner Marty Noxon, Unreal was adapted from Shapiro's 2013 South by Southwest award-winning short film, Sequin Rays, which itself was based on Shapiro's own experiences working on The Bachelor. Today on the podcast, Shapiro talks about the journey she and the show took with Gaby's very funny writer-director, Jonathan Lasecki, who first met Shapiro when he was on the South by Southwest shorts jury that recognized Sequin Rays. TV is enjoying a golden age at the moment, and there's been a massive influx of talent from indie films, so for anyone wanting a roadmap for how to turn your acclaimed short into a hit TV show, you should listen closely to what Shapiro has to share. What I wanted to talk about first was where the idea of the short came from, and when you were creating the short, did you actually have further goals in mind? Yeah, so the um, the short sequin rays... I think I was I was trying to remember if this is really accurate, but I think I may have written it for five years, which is really kind of crazy. Um, but I was working in advertising in Portland, Oregon for my day job. I had a super busy life, and I would just like write on the weekends when I could. And I've been writing since I was five. I interned at Killer Films in college. I've been like sort of, you know, making independent film had had always been my goal but in in that time my ambitions really evolved towards television which I think is very common now that so many independent filmmakers want to be in tv because the middle kind of fell out of indie film yeah but I feel like you were kind of ahead of the curve there a little bit yeah maybe a little bit I just I had just been finding that you know for years that really like premium cable storytelling was so much more interesting to me and the characters that were able to exist there were so much more interesting to me um, so I really wanted to make a television show out of the, out of the short film sequin rays. And I think in developing it creatively, there were a lot of decisions to be made about how to approach that. Like if I was really trying to make my short as a pilot and I wasn't, um, I was trying to establish a tone and a world, which ended up being a lot more important. Um, I think than establishing all the characters and all the plot points, it was selling people on my way into this world and the tone in this world. For me, the situation was very similar. I made a short for Gaby before I made the feature, and um, I didn't intend to make a feature or a short. I had a story I could tell in any format and just kind of told the short story for a while and just let it out there. And and producers just saw it at a film festival and asked me to work on the feature, and it was very organic. But I think a lot of people kind of have in mind this thing where they're like, I'm going to make a short and turn it into a feature or I'm going to make a short and turn it into a TV show. And I, and it doesn't seem like for you, maybe that was what the case was. Or... I was, I was pretty hell bent actually. This was I... like a proof of concept. For yeah. You. I was pretty hell bent on making a television series. I really, I think I had already actually made a Bible that I ended up not, u- I ended up not using it in the pitch, but, um, 
I the show Unreal was already in my head. I had already sort of plotted out what a lot of the characters would be. Um, and when I went to South by, I think you pointed this out. Like I, I actually went into my pocket that was completely empty. Like I had emptied my bank accounts making the short, but I found the money to get a publicist for South by with a short, which is pretty unusual. Yeah. I think filmmakers would be interested in that since this site is mostly about filmmakers discussing film with other filmmakers. Um, it, it was to me interesting. You had a, a publicist for your short, which you don't see very often, but which is incredibly important if you want to then make that short into something else. And I, I just thought it was kind of brilliant. And I had already seen your movies. I had already decided that I kind of loved it before I knew that. But I did think like, oh, this person is here to have a career. She's serious. And you don't get that from every filmmaker at a film festival. Yeah, it's. I mean, I kind of went for broke. I think that round because. I also went south by sort of saying, like, I'm leaving here with an agent, yeah. which happened. But, but It did. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't sign until I got back to L.A., but I met my agent at South By through doing a panel. He saw me do the panel Amazing. and approached me afterwards. But it was that kind of stuff where I didn't even, you know, I would have never, never thought to do a panel, but I talked to anyone who would talk to me. So while I was interviewing publicists, somebody that I spoke with suggested doing a panel. So I did a panel. And, um... It was just, yeah, I was really, really focused on what I wanted to do, which I think helped a lot because I did the AFI directing workshop for women and subsequently have gone back several times to speak to incoming classes or people that are considering the program. And what I've said repeatedly and what I find myself always coming back to when speaking to those groups um, is that the motivation and the direction just has to come from inside of you. Yeah. And nobody is going to do anything nobody. for you. Not one person. <laughs> it's really the one point that you feel like you have to make over and over again. Like, sh- your your film, your project is going to feel like a huge boulder and you're the only one pushing it up the hill. You might have people, like, join in the fun and do it, but it's still always going to be you doing the bulk of the work and you have to accept that and want that in a way. You, you know? have to, and you have to have a vision for where it's going and you have, like you have to state goals and you have to make huge sacrifices to meet them. And you know, and you have to treat your ally as well. And you have to, I mean, you have to take care of your relationships. You have to take care of your collaborators. You have, there's so much that you have to do, Yeah. but I've had, um, at one of the events I was at, someone approached me and sort of said, I have this idea and I don't know if it's a shorter or a TV show. And I don't know if it's a, I, or, or, I mean, is it a feature or a TV show? And I don't know if I want to do a short or what I should. And I was like, yo, I was like, seriously, you shouldn't even be talking to me until you know. And not that yeah. I, not that I'm a big deal. Don't put that out there into the world. Yeah. And I, but also just that like, what I what I really talk to people about too is like limiting your asks, yeah. so that when you're coming, like the hardest thing for me now is getting emails from people who are like, "Hey, could I have coffee? Could we get coffee so I can talk to you about how to break into the business?" And it's like, that is like so enormous. Yeah. That what would be a lot more, I mean, an easier way for me to actually help or or extend, you know, um, generosity to to people is when when it's really specific. When it's like, hey, I was looking at this film festival. I'm not really sure which programmer to talk to. Do you think I'm even a good fit? If so, would you mind sending an email? No problem if you can't. Those kind of requests are really manageable. But so... Anyways, I, um, yeah, so I had a really clear vision for what I wanted, and I was was pretty hell-bent on making it happen. After the short, then what happened? You said you got representation right away, which was excellent, and... How quickly did you start to pursue the TV idea? Was it immediate? 
Well, this is actually fascinating. I should have told the story in a different order. I had sold the show before I came to South By. No, I had no idea. That's yeah. crazy. I sold it before I had an agent. It all happened really so... I d accidentally is the wrong word because I was very motivated to sell it, but um, it was very surprising the way that it all went down. I had a job, as I mentioned, in advertising in Portland at Widen Kennedy. A woman that I worked with named Sally DeSibio, new Nina Lederman, who's that of Lifetime, and... Um, had been really supportive of the short and knew that I wanted to pitch it as a show. And she's like, I'm going to LA tomorrow. Do you want to come? You have to buy your own plane ticket. And I said, okay. So she helped me work up the pitch and we came down and I pitched it and Nina pretty much bought it in the room. Um, but I actually had to take a minute to decide if I wanted to sell my show to Lifetime. Yes, of course. Yes. I had to take like a significant minute. Um, and I didn't have an agent, and I didn't really know anyone in town. Yeah. I knew a couple people from AFI that had like had worked in writers' rooms. That was like as far as I could get, and a cousin who had been a screenwriter, and that was it. So the people I was able to get in touch with unanimously said that passion and commitment to the project is actually really important. Yes, and that if I believed that this exec that I was meeting with really wanted to make the same show I wanted to make, yeah. and was really committed to getting it made that it might be better to be there and be a really, like, a primary project there yeah. than to be one of 35 someplace else. Yeah. And that was just one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. It was really super strange. It was a, it was a really strange leap of faith that I took with very little information, but I took a huge leap of faith on, on them. They took a really a, almost bigger leap of faith on me yeah. because I was so untested. Yeah. But they saw the short and just flipped. So I sold the show before I came to South By, and then having an agent get involved um, helped, I think, sort of navigate the next steps of the project. So, so did you, I'd love, sorry to interrupt, but did you actually pitch it anywhere else, or did you really decide after that one pitch that that was it? That was it. Wow, great. Yeah, I think we actually met with two other places that day. Um, we might have met with E, and they were, but the pitches were over so quickly, it was kind of more like a, almost like a general meeting, yeah. and like, hey, I have an idea. Yeah. Um, so the only place that I fully pitched it out, or we watched the short or anything, was Lifetime. And yeah, so... That deal was done when I got my agent. Um, but in terms of navigating the next steps and the pilot process and all that, it was really, really helpful to have an agent. And so it was a really important part of, part of the puzzle. For your short, you managed to get like an incredible cast. Anna Camp, Ashley Williams. Francis uh, Conroy. Yeah, Francis Conroy was it. I mean, it was like ridiculous. Um, and I mean, a lot, I see a lot of shorts with like celebrity people where... It maybe doesn't work because they're too famous or something. But f for yours, I didn't feel that way at all. I actually felt like they were, the, it was all people who were actors first and mm -hmm. like known second, you know. Um, how did you get that cast? Just because I'm sure that also helped maybe like in an immense way because there is something about watching something with people you are familiar with where you're like, oh, these people believed in this project and this woman. Um, I can too, you know. It's, it's a good thing, I think. So in terms of the cast that I got for the short, I I think it had a lot to do with um, sort of like my insanity in terms of stalking people, but also doing the project through AFI. It was one of the reasons why I really wanted to do the project through AFI, because um, I had a ton of resources available to me at the ad agency I worked in. We had a full post facility, like soup to nuts. We had cameras. We had I had tons of people in Portland who probably would have worked on the project, and I could have very easily shot it up there for not a lot of money. But um, what I realized about the script is it was so performance heavy. 
it was actually just performance. It's almost like a 20 I mean, minute. It really is. Yeah, it's 20 minute scene. It's like a 20 minute one. With like the stakes of a Chekhov or something. I mean, it's just like so high stakes and requires really talented people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for me, I've always been a writer first. I'm just, a, I just come from a, from a writer background and I am a writer. And so the evolution to really being a director and thinking about casting in a super serious way and about those people as your primary collaborators Um, was a big sort of evolution of me as a director. And I knew that I had to get an incredible cast and not names. I had to get incredible craftspeople. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and Anna Camp was who I wrote the role for. I always wanted her, but she turned me down like twice. And Ashley Williams, I had actually, to be totally honest, I had never heard of, but as soon as I found her, she was it. And Frances Conroy, I'm like so obsessed with, I could barely talk to her. Yeah. But I can't, I still can't believe she did it. Yeah. I can't believe, I mean, the whole thing was totally surreal. When Frances Conroy showed up on set, I was like, I was like, I can't direct her yeah. because I'm so intimidated by her. Because yeah. I think she's, a, I think she's like a living genius. And she was working so hard on the backstory. She was emailing me in the middle of the night. Like, I just looked up Shakespeare and I was thinking about psychology. She was just amazing. So committed and, you know, and she didn't in any way, shape, or form need to do this. Not, yeah. not, there was, n- there was no part of her that needed to come to Burbank and do overnight shoots. Yeah. There's like nothing. So, um, but Anna turned me down and I wrote her a really impassioned, like, personal letter that was kind of Hail Mary. And I just said, look, I know that everybody thinks you're like a pretty, pretty princess, but I know you're fucked up and dark and evil inside. Yeah. And she, you know, and that's, and that is the great life lesson about casting shorts, I think. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty small ask. People can yeah. people can often do them because yeah. it's not a whole lot, and and actors want to work. And actors want to do something a little fun and different sometimes yeah. too. They really like an opportunity to do something that is not what they get all the time. Yeah, and Anna and Ashley actually they said this in an interview when we were at South by that I wasn't I wasn't in the room for, but they um, I was so. Uh, hands-on with them, I think, in terms of, like, establishing the tone, because I sort of let them show me what they had prepared for the first scene. Yeah. And Ashley Williams, like, came out of a bush, like, physical comedy vaudeville, stumbling over stuff, like, yada, yada. They fully read the script like it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop production and take them. (laughs) I had to take them out in the lawn in the middle of the night. And I was like, we're going to lie down on the ground and we're going to really feel our feelings and everything is going to change. And they, that night... And it goes, oh my God, do you think she's crazy? Like something's wrong with her. This is like really crazy. Cause I was telling them to talk slower and slower and slower. And Ashley's like, nobody gets that note ever. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, yeah. And, and Ashley's like, um, you know, I told her, I was like, look, I really need you to be so upset that like a PA that doesn't know what's going on approaches me and says, he's like worried about your mental health. Like I need like you to go really, really deep and I need this to be really awful. And, you know, and so they were there sort of like, is she crazy? And Ashley just told Anna, she said, oh my God, if she's crazy, nobody will ever see it. And if she's not, it might be good. So let's just do it. So you, you talked to two other places, but you decided upon Lifetime based on their passion, which is, I think, great. I mean, I feel like the dream for everyone is like everyone wants a show on HBO, but I certainly know in like in my case, they're just not, it's not happening for me there. <laughs> or at least not at this. So it's like, you know, you 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 want to go with where where the love is. Um, so when you hit that point with them, is that when they paired you up with an experienced showrunner? Was there a long process in looking for someone, or did that happen right away? 
It um it was it took a couple months and I had started to work on an outline I think and when I had pitched I actually said that I wanted a co-writer because I had never written television before yeah and it's a whole thing oh it's a it's a giant thing it's a it's a whole giant thing um and they did not want to get me a co-writer at the time that they bought the show because you know I think realistically they probably were like you're kind of an inexpensive experiment we'll just throw it at the wall see if it sticks and. I think once we got through the outline process, they were feeling like pretty serious about the show. And um, Nina actually reached out to Marty personally, and she had been trying to find a good project for Marty at Lifetime for years, and just had never found anything that lined up. And Marty had the same hesitations about working there that you know I did in terms of tone and all that stuff. And um, now Nina is the head of oh, yeah, she, Lifetime. We should tell the people, right? Nina Lederman, yeah, is yeah. the head of Lifetime. She's and the pre- not the president. She's the head of the program. Has Marty Jackson like is a ton of shows, yeah, right? Marty, including the last couple of seasons of Buffy and Grey's Anatomy and yep. and a little bit of Glee and some other stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Marty Jackson is yeah, super established industry veteran. She hates it when I say that word, but um, she's yeah, she's super experienced and for someone so young, for someone so young and fresh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but she knows she knows her stuff. Um, and she's very, uh, very coveted. I think people really want to work with her a lot, and she turns down a lot of stuff. And so Nina, who's the head of scripted at Lifetime, um, reached out to her personally, insisted that she come in to watch the short. Marty was like, I'm not coming in there. I'm sick. I just got back from India. Send me a link. And Nina said, I'm not sending you a link. You have to come in. You have to drive to Century City and sit in my office and watch the short. And so uh, Marty did, and you know, reportedly she was just blown away. And she sort of said, "Listen, if you really are going to make that, if you're really going to make that short, then I'm in." Amazing. Yeah. And so she and I had a had a first date that you know was sort of pitched to me as like, "You guys can see if you like each other," but it was really her deciding if she wanted to work with me. Yeah. And <laughs> um, and uh, we had a meeting of the minds almost instantly, and right. it just it really couldn't have been a better fit. And that's one of those examples of your studio head or your network exec being passionate enough to call in a personal favor for your show. Yeah. That's like all, like all and also realize who's right for it. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Like all along the way, those kind of things where, where that passion that I took a gamble on really has paid off in, in very measurable ways. Like that, per, you know, Nina going out of her way to insist that this person come in and take a look at the short and meet with me and all of those things. So then Marty got involved and we started working on a draft. I think of the pilot then. Okay, and so the process uh, for most for most shows is you you make a pilot before they approve the scripts for the rest of the series, mm-hmm. correct? correct? Unless yeah. you're lucky enough to be ordered like as a show, which some people get, whatever, yeah. great for them. Um, and you made a pilot, but that is not the pilot that everyone saw. Yes. Yes, that's correct. We made a pilot in um, Atlanta. We shot it in Atlanta, and uh, it did not work. It didn't. It it totally missed the mark tonally and so we actually had to scrap it and reshoot it and we recast a major role how did that happen so you have this pilot that isn't quite right but but is it because the belief in the project was so strong that they was it immediate that you were going to get another shot at no. it or did what were you did you have moments where you thought it was over oh we thought it was over we totally thought it was over i spent i spent the holidays and new years in the edit suite like basically sleeping in the edit suite trying to fix it yeah um we got it closer than it was mm-hmm. um just with a lot of really creative music choices and color timing and yeah. trying to make it look the right way and feel the right way through sort of creating performances and edit and um, and yeah, we sort of were like, we're done. 
we lost. It's over. But we turned it in, and it was the best. It was the best we could do with what we had, and um, they picked it up. Which was I when they picked it up. I mean, we were shocked. It was like we really thought it was done. Did you know they were picking it up with the intention of reshooting? No, they picked it up. I think with the understanding we were going to re- recast a major part. Yeah. So there was some reshooting implied, but we hadn't planned to reshoot the whole thing. Was uh, the character Rachel played by? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, Sherry Quinn. was there. It was Quinn. It was the Quinn character that we had to recast. Did you ever think of trying to work with anybody from the short, or how did that? Was oh, that yeah. a weird thing to happen? Did you try oh, to yeah. get Anna Camp to do the pilot? Or? Totally. I came in. I would. I'd love to work with everyone from the short. Yeah. Anna Camp was I'm trying to remember. She had she had something she was doing pitch perfect, but she also had something else going on. Frances Conroy was like, I'm on American Horror Story forever and I'm yeah. gonna die from exhaustion. She was <laughs> she was But she's amazing. She's amazing. Oh, this is Balenciaga. <laughs> she's so good. I mean, she's, she's amazing. So, good. <laughs> so yeah, so she was really not available, like supremely not available. And that's the funny thing about doing a short with people, asking them for five days. It's not like asking them for up to six years, which yeah. is which is what people what have to com- is what what people have to commit to when you cast them on a show. Yeah. And that's for women of that age to the Quinn age who mostly have children, mm-hmm. it is such an enormous ask. And we were also asking them to move. That was another really hard lesson in the logistics of television. If, yeah. if the dates don't line up, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I should say this though too, that like, so I was, I was having a really hard time getting over the Ashley Williams of it all because she and I had worked so much on that character together. She was Rachel or she was Rebecca in the short. Um, I just could not imagine anyone else, one else doing it. And yeah. Um, it was really hard for me casting that role because people kept coming in and it was like, just nobody was, nobody was Rachel, nobody was Rachel. And then Sherry came in and it was done. Yeah. From the minute, from the minute she opened her mouth, it was over. I mean, I have to say as much as I love Ashley in the short, I think she's incredible in it. I also think you found an incredible person to be in the television version. Oh, I Because yeah. she's incredible. I mean, I do think her her yeah. performance is incredibly top-notch. I do want to talk about that. I mean, you have cast the two perfect people for your two yeah. female lead roles, which also, congratulations on having a show that has two really complex female characters. Um, how did you, like, the way you got over you know, the Lifetime of it all, or really the old version of Lifetime. Lifetime is really trying hard to change their vibe. And they've done some, I mean, they just did the, the Deadly Adoption movie. And I have a friend who's, who's in charge of movies there, and they're really good, yeah, like, they are. trying to, they're upping their game a lot. And obviously with your show they have. But how did you, how did the actors deal with that? Because in a way, also, I'm sure actors all want to be on like Netflix or HBO. And then and Constance you know, is on HBO. and Netflix. Well, she's on every network, I feel like. <laughs> she's on Netflix too, because yeah. she was on House of Cards. I mean, yeah. she literally is on everything. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and she was on Girls last, yeah. so yeah. Um, Which she was, I have to say, I, I, you know, I've known Lena a long time, and I remember sending her an email that I was like, can you keep her and just make her one of the girls? Because she was my favorite character that season. She was, she had so much, like, depth, and she was, like, the adult version of those girls. And even though she was dating Adam, who was in a particularly asshole-ish phase, I just, I loved that character. And I was kind of bummed when Adam and, and Hannah got back together. I just was like, no, 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 Natalia's so much better. What the hell is going on? It was so- I, I know. And Sherry's performance on that, it's like, she's so, like, nuanced and layered and creepy. And you never know what the hell is going on behind her eyes. And yeah. I just, she really, it was... I don't think, you know, as ter- in terms of, like, what was actually on the page for her to do yeah. was interesting, but 
I think what she did with it was like incredible. Oh, I thought that was the the performance of the year on that show for yeah. sure. Yeah. So she's great. So anyways, you know, Sherry definitely, she had a bump on the whole lifetime of it all. She was, um, but she told the story today actually about, she watched the short and she was with her husband, John, who's like a great restaurant owner and chef. And he saw the short and she's like, but it's on lifetime. She's like, I think it's really cool, but it's on lifetime. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And he just said, if they're actually going to make that, then you should do it. Oh, great. See, that's, was, that's, yeah. That seems to be coming up a lot, which is excellent. Well, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about, like, just do the work. Just actually, if you have something in your head that is really specific that nobody's going to understand, just actually make it. Because it just, and the same thing happened for Constance. She said when she saw the short, she said, if they're going to actually make the short, then I'll do it. And so. Now, she didn't, she wasn't in the original pilot, so did she see that? Uh, did you no, we never, we never let her, we never <laughs> let her see the original pilot. Um, but also, she was another one. Nina's kids go to school with Constance's kids, and she cornered Constance in the parking lot because I had wanted Constance from the day I pitched the show. Yes. She turned us down because she didn't want to be on Lifetime. <clears throat> um, Nina cornered her and said, I know that you're just like, getting these calls from your agent about Lifetime, um, but I want to put a face to it. This is my face. I am Lifetime. Yeah. We want you. Yeah. And so she convinced Constance to watch the short, and then Constance came in for a meeting. And I think, you know, Constance's report on what was so appealing to her about the meeting she had with Marty and myself was um, that we asked her what she wanted to do with Quinn. Yeah. And we explained to her why we wanted her and what we liked about her for the role. And I think she saw an opportunity to just dig her, you know, get her teeth into something really juicy. So, yeah. But the, but that said, both of those guys took an enormous leap of faith. It's definitely complex for me to answer those questions because I never sat down and was like, I'm going to sell my show to Lifetime. I was <laughs> like, I was like, I found a great partner in a network that wants to make the show, and this the press portion of it and like letting the world see the show and find the show and talk about the show has been really fascinating on a whole another level in terms of how to navigate that because. Yeah. I mean, there's only so many times I can say, but it's really good, but you should check it out, you know? And mm-hmm. I, but I think it just took, it took other people telling their friends that it was worth it. Yeah. And I do have a lot of faith that, like, in this day and age, finding something great in a place that you didn't expect it is kind of a novelty. I think it's great. I think it's also yeah. great. Like, what happened to Transparent? Nobody was thinking Amazon was going to have a show like that. And no. then, you, so you get to be Lifetime show like that. You get yeah. to be the network signature show. Yeah. And that's... A big deal for any network. I mean, AM. Nobody was watching AMC before Mad Men. You know, like I gotta say though, people. Yeah, people never really bring that up. I gotta say though, I feel like Amazon and AMC were kind of blank slates a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's not not a blank slate. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's it's got an identity. It's got a really strong identity. The identity is not super in line with what we're doing. So it's the identity has to evolve within the context of your show and and your show did just recently get picked up for a second season which is awesome i'm so happy about that because i think it's so excellent and we we definitely need more especially tv shows around this time of year that are excellent because aside from you i think it was like penny dreadful was the only other show that i was like you're awesome but it's you know it's the middle of the summer so you're not getting the best stuff on tv um you have to set up a second season now and i don't want any spoilers about how this season ends but you have a couple of characters and like breakout performances that uh, you're gonna either have to let go or try to really creatively keep around. And I, I don't want to spoil, but but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. It was one of the things when I pitched the show that Nina was so excited about. Like, oh my god, the show reinvents itself every season. It's just infinite possibilities. And it's like one of those things as a writer that you're like, cool, you're into that? Okay, that sounds great. And then you're like, what did I just do? It's so much. It's so much to reinvent the show within the show. 
But it's also really freeing because some of the storylines that kind of are wrapping up just get to wrap up. So you yeah. don't have to... But like you said, there are a couple characters that, I mean, feel like they've become part of the family, but they're really part of the rea- yeah. reality show. So they, they should essentially, you know, theoretically be cut at the end of the season. And and as of now, that's still our plan. You know, yeah. I think that we, we want to structure the show like a, like a season of the reality show is a season of Unreal. But... You know, there's some, we're still deciding. The other thing that's nice for us is like a calibrating tool is that we are always traveling through the world through Rachel's point of view. Yeah. And that it's very much just about what she's dealing with in season two. And yeah. I think that we'll build the world around her. And that's, I think it's, you know, it's a nice touchstone for us as storytellers to remember that that's what we're doing because it can get, that world can get really silly really fast. So I guess just to close, I want to talk about inspirations. Like when you were making the the short that the show is based on and, and the show. And, uh, and I think you have such strong female characters. Like what do you cite as kind of the, the, the female characters and the creators that you think about, uh, or love that maybe inform your work or don't, but just are people you kept in mind in a way. Yeah, I think, you know, Genji Cohan is a huge touchstone. I think she's yes. done more for women in television than than just about anyone. She has done more. I mean, Orange is the New Black employs more varied and interesting actresses than probably any other show. Uh, and, and, and it's incredible. Yeah. And she also is, is, I mean, we talked about weeds, but the, the second season of Orange is the New Black is so incredibly different than the third season. It's like... It's just a different show. Like, one was about, like, the building of a supervillain played by Lorraine Toussaint, who did not get an Emmy nomination today, and that is a crime. I know. Um, she won Critics' Choice. I know. She's she so good. But the third season is not about that at all. It, there's no supervillain. It's really just about the, the yeah. prison industrial complex, and, you know, and it's fascinating. Yeah. No, so Genji Cohen is always, always a touchstone for me. Um, Jill Soloway is a huge inspiration to me. I thought Transparent was kind of like the most important thing that's happened in five years. It really is. I think it's it just really is. So, <laughs> such beautiful storytelling. She's yeah. a, she's a friend, you know, I don't, I know, yeah. know Jill well, but I, I count her definitely among my mentors and people I can go to if I need to, which is yeah. incredible. Um, and that pilot should be studied. It's such an incredibly well-written pilot. Yeah. And I saw both versions cause they also did some I recasting. Remember. I yeah. remember. Yeah. But one thing I love, you know, about watching Jill's work too, is that she is, you know, when we talk about television really being a thing, a craft that is to be learned and people being journeymen in that craft. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes television is down to mathematics. I mean, it's A story, B story, act out, back to commercial, back to C story, back to A story. I mean, it's, it's crafted in such a sort of traditional and learnable way. And I think that Jill is truly an industry veteran. She worked in rooms forever. She ran six feet under. I mean, she was in the United States of Tara. She's... So she knows the form so incredibly well. And, but what I love about her backstory too is she wrote Brenda and Claire on Six Feet Under, which are like such important seminal characters that I just remember the first time I read that about her and I was like, well, of course her, I think this was even before the movie. Yeah. I was like, of course it's going to be brilliant. Those characters were brilliant. They're they were amazing. so amazingly written. Yeah, they're amazing. But so it's just that, like she's a master of the craft and then she has this freedom and ease to her, I think, in terms of being so masterful at the basic craft that she can be really free on top of it. So I just, I appreciate her work so much because I think she's got like the, 
immediacy and rawness of indie film with all of the craft of television. It's just a magical combination, and I respect her so much. She also is another one who is just incredibly uh, masterful in tone. Like, yeah. the tone of that show is so specific. So specific. Even when the scenes are happening in the 90s, the flashback scenes, I'm like, sorry, the tone is 70s. Yeah. Like, this tone is so 70s. There's something so 70s about that show, and I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's a master. Mike Mills is also, I love Beginners. It's one of my favorite movies ever. When I was making this short, I Am Love was, like, a huge inspiration to me. Oh, cinematically. Yeah. I love that movie. Um, yeah. But I, I, you know, I love, I'm trying to think what else, what else do I obsess on? Do you have a favorite anti-hero character type? Since Rachel is kind of an anti-hero, although to me she's just a hero because I think she's awesome. <laughs> you know, I like, it's, I'm one of those people who worked my way through Breaking Bad really slowly. Yeah. Like, I really, it, it was such a bleak world. Like, yeah. even, you know, even just the unrelenting, like, production design is, like, so hard to look at after a while. But I really, really love Walter White. Like, yeah. I really think in terms of just literary characters, he's an incredible character. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then we talked about Weeds, too. I think she's yeah. absolutely incredible. I didn't watch a ton of Nurse Jackie, but I love the idea of that character. Yes. Um, i trying to think of other, other answers. I really think Walter White is kind of the ultimate I, I, one. I mean, Don Draper is interesting. I don't even know if I can call him an anti-hero. I think he's fascinating, but I don't know if he's anti-hero. No, it's different. Yeah. He's just a drunk yeah. womanizer. But yeah, drunk, Walter yeah. White was like an active yeah. like person who was embracing the their evil side. It was interesting. Yeah. Like, I mean, in your show, Rachel really does have to embrace the sides of her that are dark to get her job done, which yeah. makes it so compelling, but also, you know, like sad to watch. Like, she has to every single show make a choice that, yes, I'm going to be this jerk <laughs> to get what I need to get because this is my job, you yeah. know, which is such a thing if you work in the industry. It you is. often have to do stuff that you really don't want to do. I think it's, like, so. super relatable. I think that's a, that's been the interesting thing about her is that, you know, occasionally people have the reaction to her, like, she's evil, and I'm like, she's everyone. Yeah. She's everyone. She and, is. like, who hasn't had to do that? Okay, one last thing. Like, what what about you? What's next besides the second season? Where, where, do, you, where do you see this going? Where would you like it to go? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, am probably going to be pitching another show. I think that um, that is where I want to be. I want to be in creating shows and shaping shows and creating worlds. Um, I think writing and directing a feature would be fantastic you know, for me in terms of doing one more thing that is just sort of purely in my tone and in my voice. Um, and it's interesting having been in, <clears throat> been writing TV and sitting down with my feature now, it's the two, like the two hours for a whole world is really a different, it's really a different thing. And I think I've become so immersed in sort of writing stories with a lot of legs and characters that could go forever that it's interesting to think about what I would want to do in two hours that would mean enough for me to do it Yeah. because I think doing a feature you know takes so much out of anyone yeah. and so I really am at the point right the second in my career where I have to look at like what my priorities are and what I have time to do but yeah. I so I think it's like I'd love to sell another show and I would love to write and direct a feature great I'd love to see them both right. anyway so that was uh, me, Jonathan Mozeki, talking with Sarah Gertrude Shapiro. And if you have not checked out Unreal and you're carrying around Lifetime Baggage, let it go. And please check it out because the show is excellent and it really is kind of the best thing on TV currently. This is Nick Dawson from Talk House Film, and you've been listening to Jonathan Lisecki and Sarah Gertrude Shapiro on the Talk House Film podcast. The episode was recorded by Jonathan Lisecki and edited by Elia Einhorn. 
For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit thetalkhouse.com slash film. Subscribe to TalkHouse Film and TalkHouse Music Podcasts on iTunes, where you can find all our previous episodes. And while you're there, please rate and review if you can.